Hiver. Welcome to Textures, a podcast about art, design, and entrepreneurship. My name is Valérie Legras. In each episode, I meet with an artist, designer, creator, innovator, individuals who add textures to our world. We discuss how they are able to make it happen. Join me in discovering their world, their work, and how they go about living and leading a life that inspires themselves and others. Mackenzie Gibson is with me today. She's an artist out of Providence, Rhode Island. Mackenzie studied architecture, then moved toward art and furniture design. She is known primarily for her innovative use of mixed material. Her work is often described as having a masculine aesthetic as she works with heavy pieces of metal. Don't be misled. Just because Mackenzie can weld and manipulate heavy pieces of steel does not mean that her work is not also extremely graceful and poetic. To me, her work transcends the material. It challenges the usual notion of material function in furniture design and focuses on the relationship between artists and the physical material being transformed. Let's listen to Mackenzie Gibson. Hi Mackenzie, thank you so much for having me here in your studio in Warren, Rhode Island. Thanks. Yeah, now I'm very excited to have you. Thanks for having me on. I'm very excited about this. So you and I know each other for about a year, something like that, or maybe a little bit more. Ooh, it has and been a year. yeah, and then I came here in your studio uh, to see your beautiful art. And you're not from Rhode Island like, originally, and you have an incredible long journey, creative journey. And so let's start by the beginning. How were you as a child? Oh, yeah, I, a lot like I am today, to be honest. Uh, extroverted introvert, love my solitude, uh, a nerd. Um, yeah, I've always, I always loved drawing as a kid. I was always even like kind of an adult as a kid. Like I remember both my parents worked and so my sister and I, we always had to go to like summer, you know, after school care, but it was like the summer thing. And <laughs> every day, all I wanted to do, I'd had this whole like satchel of my art supplies. And so I would just sit at a table by myself all day, just doodling away and drawing and painting. And I mean, I had to look ridiculous as like this little like eight-year-old little girl with this huge, I mean, the huge backpack thing I had was, it was leather. It was like really nice. It was like one of my mom's old work briefcase kind of things of just carrying that around. And yeah, I like to be alone and I never really played with like dolls or anything like that. The only thing I ever did was I put all of those kinds of things on display. And so my sister liked to play with dolls and Barbies and all of that. And so I would have these like meticulously, you know, curated stages of, you know, little Barbies or I had like, uh, what is it? The Samantha doll from, uh, I can't remember the name of that now, American Girl. And so I had her like, she had her picnic stage and then she had her dining stage and I would change the clothing every once in a while to match whatever she was doing for the day. And that was it. I never played with them. I just staged and I just looked at it. It was you know, kind of odd. I and guess. so you were raised in a, a very artistic family or not at all? No, not at all. Neither one of my parents are creatives. Um, they're very like good and supportive of like what I do but like they were like we don't know what to do with you because uh, you like art and we I don't know what you do with that um, my mom was always great though like she got me into like drawing classes and anybody she can find to teach me uh, to develop like this this drawing obsession that I had like I was I was in middle school when she enrolled me at University of Tennessee actually for a drawing class. So I here I am again. I'm in middle school, just this lanky weird kid with all like adults in this drawing class. Um, people were very confused the other students there like are you is your mom here or um, so yeah, super supportive about just finding people to teach me drawing. I had a private tutor even at one time and that was a grad student. It was just really my mom did whatever she could to find me support and resources. And then my mom's brother, actually, and uh, his wife, Kathy, they, they were artists, though. 
So every Christmas and birthday, like I always asked for some sort of like art present. So, and then also chemistry set, that was the other one. So I, I actually started early on with this like love of art. And then I had this weird like opposite, you know, that's like the non-linear thinking, which I think is kind of my art side. And then there's like very linear thinking, which is like chemistry. I loved mixing things and like then you get to examine them under the microscope. So it was like really weird where my like interests would lie. And yeah, it's still the same today. Yeah. That's interesting because yeah. what, what I just learned about you <laughs> right now yeah. is exactly what I see in your studio today. You are I told between you I'm not much different. No. That's, I mean, we're going to get back to, to that when you're going to describe yeah. what you, but I'm just you know, amazed. I'm sorry, I interrupt. So just no, continue. not at all. This is funny. I was like a realization of me too. Of like, no, I, I really am just pretty much the same as I was as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. So finally you went to architectural school. Yeah. So that was actually uh, a compromise with my parents. So all through high school, I wanted, um, you know, it was already like that expectation if you go to college, uh, which I was like totally fine with and excited about. But um, I wanted to go into either fashion design or, like, makeup, um, which I will say my first job, paid job, was face painting, which is kind of funny. I was 10 years old, made 10 bucks an hour, though. Hey, I was just good, talking to somebody deal. about that the other day. I was 10 years old, 10 bucks an hour face painting with a party company. Um, anyway, that was a sidetrack. But, um, yeah, I wanted to go into fashion design or do makeup, and my parents, you know, and that was kind of, that and mix that somehow in with just art in general. And my, both my parents were like, you're not, no. Mm -mm. Uh, artists don't make any money. You're not doing that. And so finally we compromised on architecture, um, which was a five-year program. So and where did you go? I went to the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, which is where I'm from. Um, and it turned out the program there was one of the top five, you know, in the country at that time. And it was, you know, a huge thing to try to get in. And, and I did get in. And so I went to architecture school. And there were parts of it that I loved. And then as it, like, you know, progressed, there was a lot of stuff that I just didn't care for and wasn't interested in. But I took away more from it than I um, really expected to, I think. That was, like, non, like purely architecture related like hand drafting obviously I was obsessed with that I and even today like that's where my weird like linear brain will come into play to where I can just eyeball something and know if it's like a 36 of an inch off by eye and so there's like those times when I'm like a little OCD and then I'm like it's not right I, I know I know it's a 36 of an inch off um, and then you know being able to tell if things are square and just those like laborious hours of hand drafting when today, of course, we can do it in like, you know, well, minimal, minimal amount of time on a computer, which to me, a computer is miserable. Uh, and you can still make mistakes with hand drafting and then sometimes you gotta start all over. And I, maybe I'm just a masochist, I don't know, because I really enjoy that. And like refining that perfect technique and rolling your pencil. I'm a very tactile learner, so I'm gesturing a lot, which I realize as a podcast, no one can see me. But I'm like rolling the pencil in my fingers because you can kind of feel it when it's like going along the main line. And yeah, I can even hear it. Like I love all of that. I think of making in general, I love all of that. Um, the whole experience of it, the tactileness, the smells. Like in architecture school too, like I fell in love with, that was really my first experience with like machinery because they had like a whole model making shop. So that was my first time getting to play with like woodworking machines. And I remember the first time going in there and like the smell, the sawdust and like the whirring of the blades. And I was like, oh, I thought, yep, yep, found my heaven. I love this. Yeah, so that was, those were like my two favorite things, that and architecture history. Again, that's where my nerdness comes into play. And then at some point you decided that you wanted to just uh, just do something else. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, so I was also working this whole time um, while I was in school. So I started off working in a hotel when I was 14. That's, again, kind of the entrepreneurial side. I, mean, I was always trying to sell something. or I wanted to always have my own money, even as like a small child. Um, yeah, just to where I could, you know, you do the bake sales, the lemonade stands, like... I know kids do it just to have fun. And I'm like, nah, -uh. no, that's $2, ma'am. Right in the hand there. 
I don't, it's just funny because like we were like my parents were totally fine like I never was you know wanted of anything but I'm like no I need my own money I want to in my cash my cash box my bottle I'm going to take that to the toy store later so um, two brands artistic brand and entrepreneurship brands it's, yeah I'm a little kind of nutso which I think is where most of my problems come into play but it also makes me great I think um But yes, I was working in hotels and I worked my way up to, I got offered a position as an assistant general manager of the hotel I was working at while I was in architecture school. And I wasn't like doing great at school as far as like, I was like, okay, the design is not as much fun as I thought it would be. I hate these prompts and, and I wasn't really sure if it was like Your call. me, yeah, like mm -hmm. if it was my calling and, you know, getting a salary sounded pretty great. Uh, at the time. So yeah, I, I took a break from school to go work full time um, and just kind of like try to figure my life out. Like it took me like forever. I was always just kind of floundering and I always enjoyed like what I was doing in the moment. And like even today, like, yeah, we obviously have to do things we don't like doing, but I can always find the positive of if I'm learning something new, like I'm perfectly content. Um, And I can take that away from me to apply, you know, in anything, in any other aspect of my life or my work. I find all of those experiences very valid. Um, and so, yeah, I went and worked for this hotel. And, and then I was, yeah, what, I was the director of sales and catering following that. And I was like, oh, this is corporate America is sucking the life out of me. And I just, I got this just feeling of, like, I know I'm not doing what I'm, like, supposed to be doing. And it's not like this universal plan or anything for me but I feel like it's we're all given like gifts from the universe or you know, whatever you want to call it um you know from something that's bigger than myself and just I wasn't living that life and using my gifts and my talents um to their fullest and so I was like I'm gonna go back to school plus I needed a degree to make more money so you know there's that <laughs> play too and um so oh, what did I do then you went to London no Not uh, then. No, I went then. back to school for architecture again. Okay. And then uh, I was also going to double major. I changed my major to what international business at one time with the concentration in Spanish. It's very like off the wall. Like, yeah, I'm gonna follow that that trail for a little bit. And then yeah, I went back to architecture after the business of like I took accounting like twice, and I was like, no. Excel is amazing, though. I will say that. If you're like a little OCD, a little obsessive, love a good Excel spreadsheet. Again, I am gesturing my approval of the Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> But, um, so yeah, then I was like, well, okay, architecture went back for like a semester. And I was like, well, this is fine, but I still don't know if this is really what I should be doing. I was just kind of trying to force it. I was just like, you just need a degree to make more money. So I went and worked for an architecture firm. Um, and I worked there for three years. I gained probably about 20 pounds. Uh, in a hotel, you're walking, you're on your feet like all day. And then <laughs> I just remember working at a computer so much that I, it was the first time in my life ever at that age that I had felt my thighs rub together. And I realized it was because I was sitting in front of a computer all day. And that is that made me realize finally, I took three years, but to realize like, I, I don't like doing this. It was also during the recession in 2008. So a lot of the things they were building like didn't actually get to be built and shredding yeah and we did a lot of amazing projects like the company was outrageous to work for like they were I, I, mean, i can't imagine a corporate kind of environment that was as great to their employees anyway i can't speak highly enough about them and i got a lot of experience and the two principals that i was working under um they're the ones that really pushed me to like you go back to school get a degree like you're doing a great job here and but maybe this isn't like you should go where you think you need to be going. And, and then my husband um, decided to, he had just graduated as well uh, while I was working at the firm. And he got a, um, went to grad school in South Carolina, North Carolina. Uh, for, he got his degree in sociolinguistics, which I'm just entering this information because it later played a big role in uh, my whole creative practice in general. So I moved. I moved for the first time in my life out of my hometown of Knoxville, Tennessee with my husband. Well, now husband. We were engaged then. Um, floundered around again for those full three years. Um, <laughs> funny. 
uh, yeah, floundered around for three years trying to figure out what in the world I was going to do with my life because I moved to a new city, didn't have a job, I've worked, I went back to hotels. Uh, I was miserable. It was miserable. It was probably one of the most miserable like times in my life ever. I mean, being a newlywed was like, okay, that part's amazing. But like, as far as the existential crisis of like, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? Uh, and then my husband was getting ready to graduate and I was like, all right, it's gonna be my turn. So I knew I loved drawing. Drawing was like, it's what I've always loved doing. It's when I'm the happiest. I was pretty good at it, you know, at this point. Um, and so I found this school because I was just looking up degrees that had a, your schools that had a degree in drawing. And there was one school that I found and it was in London and they had a degree in drawing. Um, and so I went to David and I was like, so I have found this school. I'm going to apply. I don't think I'm going to get in because uh, I still have to get my portfolio together, you know, to submit. And it's, it's in London though. Would you be willing to move there if I got in? And of course he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm totally, that'd be great. He did not think I was going to get my portfolio together or anything. I got the portfolio together. And I got a call after I had submitted all this stuff and they accepted me. It was like the craziest thing ever. Um, so this was in London. That's when David and I shipped off to London. Uh, neither amazing. one of us had visited there and yeah, I, I got a degree in drawing, uh, which was the coolest experience of my life. Yeah, and when what's... I did the most growth and I knew, I knew that first like month of being in the, the course of like, all right, here I am. Like I'm on my path. This is where I'm supposed to be. Um, and it was, uh, it took a while to get used to it though. It's an open-ended program. So you go from a course like architecture, which is you get your prompt, you get your deadline, and you just do it. Just That's it. That's all. You, you know, nope, that's straying from the prompt. Go back to the prompt. And then I went to, uh, at this school, this was Camberwell College of Arts. Um, again, degree in drawing. The first day I showed up with, like, a whole portfolio of things. I had done, like, you know, gotten all the books that they had, you know, had, like, a reading list. I had bought them all, and I had started reading, and first day of class um I found out it was an open program didn't know that uh, I was like so where's can our... you, yeah can you define what yeah. the open program so is so there's no classes okay um I will say like so yeah I, I had like a my, an advisor so there's like a couple of artists in the program and their advisors you get assigned one like each semester and uh so the first day like I said I showed up with like my portfolio of like so where's our prompts you know and like our assignments and trying to talk to him and he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, you just do whatever you want. We had to sit there for about half an hour for me to like understand what he was telling me of, no, you just make art, like do whatever you want. Try whatever you want, play around with whatever you want. These are all the, you know, the workshops. It was, I get, it took me forever. So it was very uncomfortable for about a month until I was like, oh, this is freaking awesome. And I found out, like, I worked so well in that environment. Um, I mean, there's, like, lectures, and you, you know, you kind of make your schedule. And, yeah, we had, like, um, like seminars and stuff to where we would meet as a class. And then, of course, you have critiques that are scheduled. But, like, everything else is, like, you just, you do you. And, yeah, you can walk up to the casting place and or the casting room on the third floor, and I would go to the technician and be like, so I want to, like, cast these things. How do I do that? And they just show you, and you just do it. And I can't describe, like, how amazing that was. That was what I was yelled at the most uh, about there was that I, uh, I was too designy and not arty enough. In that, Wait, like, what do I, you mean by too designy? Well, I'm functional? still trying to figure all that stuff yes. out. No, that I was too plan, like I would plan things out too much, oh. or I'd have an idea in mind prior to like making whatever it is. Um, so that was the funniest thing, and the biggest thing that I actually did learn there is like how to play, how to like just play, just play with things, play with ideas, materials, see what happens if you do this, or and so like that was what I was always getting beaten into me is like play more play more, think less, play more. Um, but yeah, it was definitely called, you know, you're being more too designy right now. So too designy in art school. We'll talk about it in a second. And then later, you know, the next degree, it was too arty for design school. And that's when I started really forming. Um, 
yeah, a definition kind of of my practice and what I believe in when it comes to art and design. So you came out, you had a big port portfolio of, you know, experience of things you did, you know, art. And right after that, you went to RISD? Or you yeah. Yeah. So I did find out um, through playing at Camberwell in London, um, I liked this mixture of, I loved sculpture. Um, so yes, I was studying drawing, but there's a huge discourse right now on like what, what is contemporary drawing. And contemporary drawing isn't just like 2D drawing, like with a pencil or a pen, you know, on paper. Um, if you think about drawing and like what the actual definition of drawing is, drawing is like making a mark. And so making a mark can be anything. Like it's my impression or like I make a gesture in the air, you know, like of a check mark. Like you know what I'm doing. You like you as a person, like one can see what, it, what I'm making. Or if I leave a handprint on the wall, like that's a mark. Um, you know, toe in the sand. I mean, I can go on with examples. I think you probably understand. <laughs> but, um, and so I, I then also was playing with materials and how to not, if you can make a form using a material that has like a specific connotation. So like the biggest, my, um, my graduate piece uh, in London was using this huge thick rope. Um, and I wanted it to like the final form, the final piece to not necessarily be associated with like sailing, for instance. So rope, like you see big rope and you're like, oh, sailing boats, whatever. Um, and so I wanted to make it something that didn't really reflect that in the end, the form. Um, and if you could actually get away from it. And this is also where kind of um, the sociolinguistics that I was mentioning that my husband majored in, because um, you know, I would read all of, all of his papers and I just got interested in it, which I never thought I'd be interested in language because I'm not a very good like verbal communicator. I'm again, I'm gesturing this whole time like to emphasize points and no one can see me because it's a podcast. <laughs> but, um, and I started collecting, oh yeah, another thing at Camberwell that yeah, changed my life was actually, I did some heavy duty research into the conceptual art period, which I'll be honest, before doing any real research on it, I thought it was the most bullshit like art movement ever um I was one of those people who's like that's just a pile of rubble like on the ground you know completely diminishing it but it was it was the coolest period ever I think in that it was all about as part of um if, if you like kind of break it down I'm not going to give you an art history lesson but if you break it down into like eight kind of like genres of that period like one of them was like recording data um and then how you would kind of show that in like a art piece or a performance or whatever it was. And so I had started collecting this list of words on my phone um, that, cause I, I love reading, I do a lot of reading. And if I didn't know the definition of the word, like without context, obviously, um, I, would, I would have the date and then I would list the word. So I've been keeping this list, I still do it today. So I have the list started on May, I think 12th, no, May 5th of 2012, and I'm still keeping this list. Um, and so every once in a while when I need some inspiration, which is what this wrote piece. You go back to, yeah. yeah. I go back to this list. So the name of the, that piece was Apotropaic. And yeah, and I'm like, that's, what is that? I was, I was like, it just is a cool word. So I, that's how like that whole piece started too. So uh, can you describe the piece? Because, yeah. you know, of course we're on a podcast. So the oh, big oh, rope, true. you know, I can't just gesture rope. it. You can just gesture yeah. it, but... <laughs> So, of course, you can go on the website and I will, um, you know, give a link yeah. to the website after. But this is, and I don't want to describe it wrongly, but it's something no. that comes from, it's like a combination between um, furniture design yeah. and art installation. Just yes. you can describe this big rope with yeah. this amazing name. <laughs> so, with the, the aesthetics of it is, um, it's a huge, I'm trying to think of like, probably like two and a half to three inch thick Cecil rope which is like the rough rope that kind of like cuts your hands. It's like not the softest. Um, and then it was 300 meters of that rope. And it, I braided it into, I can't remember, I think it's a three plate weave is the official name of the knot. Um, and so it was about, again, I'm gesturing, probably about two feet wide, like the, the braid was that thick and it, was a lounge chair, like chase lounge kind of shape at the end of the hallway, which is where I installed it for the first show. Um, and then it 
started to, as it like came over the curve to where you would have your legs, it like kind of rested on the floor, the big weave that is, and then it would start to unweave um, along this, again, it, God, it was like 30 meters of wall. Um, so it was slowly like unweaving and just kind of hung on the wall and as it, yeah, into its individual pieces. So for me, like that was also part of the drawing of um, yeah, being able to follow a line and that whole experience of yeah, you know, and walking along and seeing like, oh, surprise, it's actually a chase lounge at the end. Yeah, that was but the beginning, maybe of, not the beginning, the translation of having, you know, your two sides of creativity with really furniture design or not necessarily furniture, but because today you can do like fixtures or you can do other, but yeah. it's really the more functionality slash art, everything combined together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, and to the research stuff behind it, like with the name, because apotropaic is actually like toward away evil. And so then I, you know, I fall into these research rabbit holes. And so that one was like, oh, well, I know like, you know, the, um, the evil eye is like a symbol that, you know, a culture will wear to ward off evil. And I'm like, what else is there? And Celtic nodding was um, one way, which I didn't actually know at that time, that that was actually to ward away evil. So like the more visually um, intricate that knot was, um, like the better it was at warding away evil. Like if you couldn't untie it with your eyes, like visually following that pattern, um, the better it was at, yeah, warding away evil, which then I got into the rope. And I loved, A, how heavy that rope was and the physicality of it. Um, I'm gesturing like, moving my hands a lot because I yeah again you can just feel how heavy it is and using my hands is like my life force I think which a lot of creators it feel the same um but yeah it turned into the chase lounge because then once I started just weaving um or braiding the the rope is like I started kind of like folding it around and then it just kind of I liked that squished circle of a form that then became this chase chase lounge and it was then that challenge, too, of, like, making it functional. Um, like, how do I, you know, make the rope structural? Which exactly rope exactly is what I was structural. asking, yes. Structural, yeah. because it's, you know, you can weave it, weave it, sorry, and it's just maybe fall apart. Right. But it did not. Right. So that's your also very, you know, architectural brain. Yeah. But taking consideration of the structure element. Yeah, yeah. So the whole then that was like what I liked is like the mental challenge too for myself. And I, I did some other rope pieces um, to where like I would just use standard sailing knots. Like I made this cool stool where I didn't have to reinforce it anyway. It was just literally the knots that could give it a little structure. Again, this is kind of like, you know, my masochisticness of like, yeah, there's an easier way to do this, but isn't it more fun this way? And like yeah I find it interesting because then I'm get my little problem solving cap on and um, with that piece I did end up having to resin I used a, a marine based epoxy resin just to have it solid as um, you know a fully structural piece but still making the mold um, to hold the weight of that rope while applying the epoxy like there was that whole like behind the scenes challenge which a lot of my work in general even now like there's a lot of that kind of stuff that people don't see or know about or even care about, which is totally fine with me. Um, but that those kind of behind the scenes things or challenges for me as the maker or what like make that piece fun for me, I guess, like that whole figuring it out. Um, and so, yeah, so then it, it kind of clicked when I made that piece of, yeah, and that's when I was also in, at, in London of, yeah, you're again, two designing art school but I feel like I successfully like that because that piece went on to show like three more times one you know I was invitationals and stuff except um invitational exhibitions and stuff in London so I'm like I'm still on to something I know you guys are giving me shit but I like this mixture and that's where I was like I think furniture design could actually be really cool um and I feel like I I I'm in between these two worlds and there's got to be a place to where sculpture and drawing and art and design, they can all live together, together in yeah. a loving relationship. <laughs> yeah. And so then you went to uh, grad school at RISD, Furniture yes. Design. Yes. Yeah. So right after London, um, David and I moved to Providence, Rhode Island, uh, where I 
decided to do the three-year graduate program, so I now have an MFA in uh, furniture design as well. I'm just an overeducated artist at this point. Because, um, yeah, I also, I mean, I was 27 when I went to London. I just turned 36 this past Wednesday. Oh, happy yeah. birthday, yeah, Misty. Thank you. Thank you. I'm already having that midlife crisis, I feel like, just a little early. Uh, in that, like, I, I hate that I floundered so much of figuring out what I want to do with my life. But, I mean, I know I couldn't have gotten here without that. But it's just like I, I've started thinking, and this is off topic, but, you know, the 40 under 40 kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, shit, I got, I got sorry, I shouldn't be cursing on your podcast. Uh, <laughs> I've only got, you know, four years now because it just took me so long to figure it out in life. Um, yeah, thanks God we're not living in boxes, you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which I even now, like, people I'm mentoring, I'm like, you don't have to go to college like you don't you don't have to like I feel like even at my age it was kind of on that the border of whether parents were supportive or not of like you know whether you went to school um, or went to college like it was just kind of expected and I don't think it's as expected now and I don't think people need to I paid a lot of freaking money that I could save but um yeah so I tell them to not do it and definitely don't go to grad school until you're older don't go right after a BA doesn't make sense you offer nothing to the rest of the class and you don't get as much. There's my advice, that's all I'll give. Good but, to know. Yeah. So your experience at uh, RISD, you know, what was the final piece you designed there? Um, one of the most yeah, relevant so piece. RISD, it was really, it was a hard transformation, or transition, excuse me, transition, not transformation. Um, because I came from this program, again, very open-ended, uh, do whatever you want, play, make stuff, awesome. Uh, came to RISD, back to having prompts, um, back to yeah, having classes every day, um, which is just distracting and takes away from making time, in my opinion. Nothing against RISD. I loved RISD. Don't get me wrong about any of that. This is just my personal, like, how I was working at the time and then, yeah, transitioning back into RISD. And then at school, too, like, I go into furniture design, and now I'm too arty. <laughs> I was then too arty for design school. Um, but I did learn, like I spent a whole year learning just traditional uh, hand woodworking uh, skills. Like, I loved it. Like, I can do a dovetail by hand. That's cool. And so I was picking up a lot of just new skills and new processes and then trying to figure out how to combine what I wanted to do in research and processes that I wanted to play around with. Um, with the idea of furniture. Um, so in the end, I mean, long story short, there's a lot of stuff that went behind this whole experimentation process. Um, I started experimenting with pewter um, as a material because a lot of my work had been called masculine looking, like my aesthetics were always masculine looking, like very heavy or like the apotropaic, everybody would always think it was a, a man that made it. And we're very surprised to see, you know, me at a buck 20 dressed up like I do actually look like a you know a reasonably looking woman uh, when I'm dressed up with not shop clothes on um, you know making these really big intense pieces and so I was like all right so what is a feminine feminine let's make a feminine looking piece and I was like okay pewter is shiny which oh, whatever every woman's <laughs> shiny I even myself I'm like ooh, sparkles um, so yeah I was trying to choose something that would look super feminine, but yet have uh, a masculine kind of backstory, like I was uh, yeah, kind of saying and I, and I don't even know if we need to divide, you know, having a masculine, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I think what is surprising, and again, you, you know, really invite you to have a look on uh, all the pieces that Mackenzie has designed. Yeah, you're working with in some element, the raw, the big raw, the pewter, the steel, I mean, it's physical it's intense when i see you working here in oh, your yeah. shop this yeah. is you're not playing with a small element this is nope. you put your whole body your whole sound your this is intense yeah and it's yeah it's surprising to see um tiny bitty yeah. <laughs> beautiful woman just yeah. just yeah. taking you know just yeah just doing embracing some thing and yeah. yeah um and I, I i love that if i'm not like sweating um i don't feel like um You're achieving something yeah yeah, that or it's just like, it's not as much fun. Like, I like to, I'm going to challenge every single thing about me, whether it's the mental, like, endurance part of it, which is, like, literally a thing when it comes to, like, 
the last, the big, huge last mold that I did uh, in steel, which was on a power hammer, I, I would go home like hurting. And even with making ap apotropaic, I mean, I would wake up and like my fingers, you know, are so cramped that it would take, you know, like an hour for me to fully wake up and, um, you know, and even be able to move my hands around. Which, like, yeah, that you don't, not everybody has to do that, obviously. But I love, yeah, the physicality of it. And I want to challenge my body. I want to challenge, um, you know, my mind technically. And, yeah, everything's got to be challenged at one time um, for me. And that's just, like, where my heart and soul kind of are. And, yeah, literally putting my blood, sweat, and tears and everything. I don't know of a piece where I haven't, yeah, like, bled on the piece. Most of it now with the pewter I can wipe off, so it's fine. <laughs> Yeah, but so even the, so a lot of these big, huge scale drawings I've done, those still have like little blood spots somewhere on them. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to try to describe a little bit, uh, you know, what's around. I mean, I'm going to stop and then you're going to follow up because, of course, my extended of my my English vocabulary is not as extended as it should be to describe you your, your, <laughs> your, your, your shop. So basically here you have some amazing, pretty big, um, you know, steel mold. Mm -hmm. Which is what I use as a mold, yeah. Yeah, and you cast pewter, and you just pour pewter, just, you know, a little strip on it, and it's just like melt. Yeah, yeah, so it's, um, so that was kind of the process that I refined in my thesis year um, at RISD. So I, I've taken for the molds, is what I'm calling a mold, it's actually like a sculpture too in its own right, but I don't, I don't talk about it, I guess, as such. But it's um, usually like 14 gauge mild steel, a huge sheet. Um, and I have, you know, I'll cut out that sheet and then I um, will use a power hammer and then traditional um, hammer and anvil blacksmithing techniques to make what I'm calling a mold for this pewter. And so the casting process is what I, I developed um, using this pewter. Yeah, it took over a year. God, I was working on it over one and a half years, yeah, before the final pieces started coming out. Um, so it's hand ladle pouring. It sounds so simplistic. Um, yeah, hand ladle pouring this um, particular pewter alloy over these mild steel molds. Um, and yeah, like for me, like I loved, and yeah, that's, that's actually the aesthetics. That's what we were talking about, sorry. So it's, uh, I can then remove like the steel mold from it and you're left with, it looks kind of like a lacy or drippy thing of pewter. Yeah, it's hard to describe just with words. I'm like, I, I gotta a, see it. I have it. a French word in my mind, but God, I cannot find the American or the English word. I would say empreinte. It's like, it's just like, it's, I don't know. Is that like, yeah, by uh, hand? I don't know. You know, like, but you just like, you, you, you just have a, and every piece is different. That's what I'm trying to explain. So basically, we're just staring at the pieces. Yeah, by we're the staring way. at the pieces so right now. Just trying to so talk about all them. these different layers, you know, you have different thickness. You have different. Um, it's just tiny bitty strips of pewter uh, layered, and it's one of a kind. Each piece is one of a kind. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it it did. It took um, so the process behind it. So everybody used to make fun of me because I would sit. I would set up in the welding um, shop at RISD with like hot plates and like, I mean, I raided our kitchen and like, you know, dollar store <laughs> yard sales for any type of like stainless steel kitchen utensils. And then I'm back there in the welding, you know, got my welding shield up and everything, just like throwing stuff in this pot and melting it. And I would work, you know, all night um, into the wee hours until like, you know, the undergrads would start coming in because they didn't obviously want to take up the whole space. But everybody called me the mad scientist. So I have like a whole engineering, engineering uh, notepad of writing down everything that can make a difference in a pour. So like, and things that, it's kind of like things like the, A, the type of metal that I use as the mold can make like a difference in the appearance of the pewter. Obviously different tin alloys have different aesthetics and melting points and all of that nerdy scientific stuff, um, which I know way too much about tin alloys and how they work. Because originally it's like, I was also playing with, it's called eutectic and non-eutectic uh, alloys. So you guys can look that up. I'm not gonna nerd out on you here. Um, and then, yeah, the how hot you actually heat the pewter up and then how hot you actually cast it and what the ambient environment temperature, there's like all these like little minute 
things that can make like a huge difference in like what it looks like. Maybe not like to other people, I guess. So when I say huge, I'm like, to me, it's a huge thing. Um, but yeah, I've got just pages and well, it's not even pages. It's notepads of everything. And then you've, well, Valerie, you've seen all of my, yes, what I now call my artifacts, my samples. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. It's, I mean, it looks like to me when I came here and you just open your, your shop and show me all these little bits, everything is documented, all this experience, all this, to me, it's no. like the anthropologist that just take pieces out, you know, and just label everything. Yeah. This is, you have experimented so many things, so many materials, what temperature, what's how you associate that material with that material and what is the reaction. What when you use the pewter with glass, what is yeah. you use pewter with gold leaf? What do you, I mean all this element, this is fascinating to see. Yeah, just like so much I mean you that's funny because you always I have say like the biggest smile on my face yeah. right now because I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah. No, that's interesting because you always say you're very eddy and every, you know, you're all, you know, not eddy, but you're really, you know, uh, what is that I'm word? distracted and distracted. just like, but yeah, in another that hand, ADD. Extremely, um, you document everything and everything is so well thought. And so, so you have this extreme discipline of uh, documenting your work and which give you more, um, freedom for your creativity down the road which is very yeah. impressive oh, well thank you yeah no it's um that was one thing yeah i got yelled at a lot too at RISD because i would it's like i find these there's these little serendipitous moments during like playing with the material of like i don't even necessarily know what i like want out of a material or a process but i'm like this just looks cool i'm gonna i'm gonna play i'm gonna play around with it and so with the pewter um i would I had set up in that welding little station uh, aluminum sheets, um, like aluminum metal big sheets, just so like I could scrape off whatever I dripped from the pewter and then just put it back in the melting bucket. Uh, and I loved those little drips. There was like these weird, like I loved like the little splatters. And so I would come to my professors during a crit, again, I'm gesturing, but just with a little teeny piece of pewter in this, in this form in my palm of my hand and come to the crit with that and be like, I want to make this. There is something bigger. here. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, you've got to, you've got to stop. You've got to stop bringing these little hand things to us. Uh, you got to make something big because I can get stuck in that experimentation phase, which I do adore. And like, because I am, it's, I had a friend at RISD that I never knew this about myself until this peer said it to me. He was like, because I am kind of all over the place. Like I'm having a hard time just staying seated on my rear end in the chair. I'm usually a squatter, by the way, on chairs even. I'm always in that position. But um, he, he noticed me doing, uh, I was braiding metal in the metal shop at RISD. And you know, later in the day I saw him, he was like, I never see you focused. He was like, but when you're working, you are so intensely focused on what you're doing. And it, it's true, I was like, that is true. I'm like even starting to get the little like worry lines, like little worry lines in between my eyes. And I was like, I don't frown, I'm not a frowner, I'm a very smiley person. And then I, I've started documenting like every, all the making I do, I video record everything, um, which those have, yeah, are in progress for other like pieces themselves. But, and I notice I just scowl. Like I am intensely, my intense focus face is like with my eyes, you know, you know, in that like worry face of just intense focus. Um, but yeah, with the documentation thing, like A, I just, I love all these little things and I've gotten a little bit better at editing, but there's so many little moments um, of either a shape or how I did a specific process of this is, I need to be able to see it for either later inspiration or just so I don't repeat that same experiment again. Like I don't have to, cause here, oh yeah, that's what that did. I can't remember, but yeah, there it is. Um, and I've always, I used to want to be an archeologist too as a kid. See, it looks I like, love, I mean, I'm not surprised. Yeah, I love digging <laughs> in the dirt, which I am an avid gardener now. Um, yeah, I've got just, I've had so many interests, but yeah, it's that whole like scientific part of it, the process of the like data collection. And then there is like the archivist or librarian kind of like, then you kind of have to archive everything and record it. Um, and then there's the artist of the playing and then the designer comes into play as far as whether you can make it structural or how you, um, yeah, what kind of larger form does this, become and that is an artist design thing and so yeah, yeah. You, you work here i mean you can see here in the uh, studio you work with pewter as we said you also work with uh, wood you also work with um 
acrylic God. bronze bronze yeah. <laughs> thank yeah. you I couldn't yeah, have come to my mind working on this pewter series for a while now and I'm still continuing with that um I think personally like I'm just in my heart I'm ready to get back to an experimentation phase with you know a new process because I've just become so familiar now with this like I feel like I'm an expert so in this material now like I can tell chemical composition like you know like so nobody can ever say out. I'm not overly ambitious about everything I mean you've seen how big the shop is and it's just me um and my when I go to do work it's kind of the same thing and um and when I get into a subject I research the heck out of it and I dive deep and put like my heart and soul into knowing more about it um which is part of my problem I have too many interests but um so yes you yeah. work with different uh you know medium and metal and uh, right now what you are doing you're also exploring how you can uh go back to furniture design or product design yeah. whether yeah. it's chairs whether it's life fixture and it's just like again the transition between art i mean do we need to have a difference do we need to have, we a, have like a whole yeah. yeah i mean we need a whole separate podcast i feel like just to talk about like art versus design which i do not think they are any different um i think they are the same thing And I, for me, though, with, yeah, I'm going to start, well, started working on a product line, um, which I will call design, simply for the ease of, if somebody reads about it, they'll, they'll immediately understand what it is, versus me then having to go into my whole personal belief um, of the, it's not any different. I can call it art or design. It's, it's, no matter what, it's the same thing. I've won awards for the same exact, which this is my favorite of that. Ah, see, I could be my own thing. I've won awards for the same piece, same exact art piece in the fine arts community and then also in the design community. So I showed it at ICFF, one of these pieces. Um, when was that? Two years ago, yeah, I think. Two, yeah. yeah. And yeah, it was an honoree from Interior Design Magazine for Emerging Designer of the Year. And that for me was that validation. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not a, yeah, pompy kind of person. I'm very, yeah, hard on myself. But that was that validation of like what I'm doing and what I'm saying is actually working. Like it's, it's true. It's like that just kind of gave me that this is actually true. I don't have to feel weird or uncomfortable, um, you know, about really saying that. Like just that's it. Because before I would just, I would say it and, had a lot of yeah a lot of press back from you know other people about like no no that's not true <laughs> now i can be like yeah no, it is it uh, is true and that's how we connected actually uh yeah. that was uh you know me as an interior designer and then say how god this is okay this is a piece of art but how can we just transform it and having you know here is what i foresee but you're obviously the artist you're the maker what can you do you know for me for that project, you know, and I'm coming to you and I say, just do it, do something yeah, that you're, makes, you know. And you're amazing. And you're just yeah, like you've <laughs> been like the best, like, because I just started working with interior designers or like playing with that idea in my head before, right before you came along. And so like, you're like, you've been the, a blessing of like, you're so open and just like, dude, let's do this. And then we come in here and just, wait, what if we did this? This is cool. Because for me too, like I've shown a lot of these pewter pieces in the fine arts context and We've both talked about this, um, you know, in the shop of like, I don't want to just take an art object and be like, we're going to make that Turn a table it. thing. Yeah. Um, and so it has to have that. This is where for me, like art and design for me personally, like I start to just think differently, just slightly differently in that design is more kind of linear. It's more linear thinking. It's there is like some design is you know you literally draw it out you got your dimensions and then you just go on to fabrication and yes i am simplifying that still because there's you know troubleshooting in between but design fabricate i think with the art thingy is very non-linear in that i don't always know like i don't have like in mind i'm going to do a chair today for art you know that's my, my fine arts thing like i don't i don't have a form in mind in the beginning it's very non-linear into how i get to a form again i'm gesturing I realize that, but, um, and so with this product line and the way it's kind of like a break from myself in my own head. Sometimes when I go into like the design mode of thinking, this linear thinking and that 
I get a little bit of the fun with the troubleshooting, but I get to start with, okay, I know I'm gonna make this form. I know I wanna do a light. So then I can apply the process that I have used in the other like fine arts pieces, but I'm not just ripping off the, um, you know, I'm not just taking a piece that's already existent and then be like, all right, now this is a light or this is a table or whatever it may be. Yeah, it's it's a surprise. I mean, like right now, we, you and I were working on a on a on a table, and it's with fabric and casting, and it's just like almost like the revisiting Gatel Peche, yeah. almost, you know, uh, this Italian designer that everyone knows. But it's it's kind of a taking this surprising. Um, you know, we know you know I you know where you're going to start. I know where you're going to start, but I don't know how it's going to end up and we know it's going to be one of a kind. It's going yeah. to be unique. It's going to be an incredible piece. Yeah. But that's the surprise of a process, you know, the how the material interact with each other. How are we going to I mean, it's just like an adventure. Yeah, yes. That is I think that's yeah, an amazing description of it because it is. It's an experience, it's an adventure. Um and it is it's playing around like you can't, what we're, we, we've been working on together, you can't really like draw it out. No. You just can't, like you cannot draw it out. There's too many nuances of the materials with this like the fabric-y drapiness. Um, you, you, just, you just can't, you can't draw it out um, to where it would be like a functional, you know, design drawing or like working document drawing. Um, and so us just going in here and playing with it together too, it's, but I think yeah. that's the good, you know, things of, um, you know, interior designer working with uh, artists. I think this is, you know, we should collaborate more. Yeah. Because this oh, is no, where. Oh, no, I want to so bad. Yeah, I'm sorry. so excited. <laughs> You've been like the best, you know, interior <laughs> designer to work with ever. I've just, yeah. Okay, Mackenzie. Well, I think that's awesome. Thank you so much for all, of, you know, this time together and your studios. Thank you for well, no, taking the thanks, time. Yeah, thanks for listening. Yeah, I'm a little rambler. I realize that. Yeah, no, this has been amazing. So seriously, thank you. Okay. Well, see you soon. Okay. See you. Bye. Thank you to Mackenzie for taking the time to meet with me to discuss her creative journey. It was such a pleasure. If you would like to learn more about Mackenzie Gibson, visit her website at www.mackenziegibson.com You can also follow her on Instagram at Mackenzie Gibson Studios. The podcast is an ongoing creative conversation for anyone who looks around, sees the added texture in their world and wants to know more about who is behind it. Be sure to share texture with your friends and community. Find your preferred listening platform at valerielegras.com slash podcast or find us on Spotify. Follow so you don't miss new episodes. Thank you for listening. A bientôt.